And welcome to the Scale of Wisdom podcast brought to you by the Batul Foundation. In this episode we are going to speak about the seventh Imam, Imam Musa al-Kazim salam. Now some people feel that it's harder to connect to the later Imams as opposed to the earlier Imams up to Imam Sadiq And that is because as we move through the later Imams, there are less historical details about their lives. And that is because they became more and more distant from the political scene and more and more distant from the type of information that chroniclers and historians are concerned with, such as battles and issues of government and so on and so forth. But that does not mean that the Imams didn't take any kind of political stance, rather their stance was very subtle and delicate. But there are a number of ways of overcoming this disconnect. And the first is to understand the principles of leadership and guardianship that are narrated in the Holy Quran, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provides a whole framework of what would be expected from a divine guide. So understanding the Quranic paradigm for prophethood and from prophethood guardianship and imama is something that can help us close the disconnect. There are also a number of principles that have been discussed in the ahadith traits that all imams have, including the way they are born, the type of parents that are necessary, and the types of qualities that the imam must have. As we've been going through these riwayat, we've already seen a ethical character trait, which is that they all gave food in the middle of the night to the oppressed and poor people that couldn't provide for themselves. And in one of the hadiths that we saw, the imam explained that he provides for his followers and for people that don't follow him. And that is a principle that would have applied to all of the Imams. So even if we don't read this specific riwayah for one of the Imams, because we have a principle that covers all of the Imams, we can apply that principle in the case where we don't have a specific text about the acts of the Imams. And then from a spiritual and ontological perspective, all of the Imams and all of the Prophets share in the reality of the Holy Prophet known as the Muhammadan reality. And in truth, there is no difference between them when it comes to that reality. They are all manifestations of the Haqiqa Muhammadiyah or the Muhammadan reality in their own times and in their own circumstances. So it as as if we are looking at one imam throughout all of that time. And so to connect to one imam is in fact to connect to all of the imams. So these are just some things that can help us to connect to the later imams and also to try and really understand the details of the history of what happened and what the imams did in their times. Because although in the English language maybe not much has been written, that doesn't mean that there is not a lot out there in other languages. So it is important to try and find people that are able to teach courses on the later imams so that we can connect to them and we can understand their history. In Mizan al-Hikmah, there is a small section on Imam al-Kazim following in the same vein as it has for the other Imams. The first section is on the proofs of his Imamah, where we have in a hadith from Imam al-Sadiq in reply to Sufwan al-Jamal, asking about one who holds this position, meaning the position of Imamah, that he said, One who holds this position does not play and nor is he distracted. So here you see we have a principle right here, that the person who is to hold the position of imama, they will not play nor will they be distracted, and we saw this again in a previous hadith. The narration continues, Musa ibn Ja'far, who was then a child, entered accompanied by a Meccan she-goat, to whom he was saying, Prostrate to your Lord. So Abu Abdullah took him and hugged him and said, May my parents be your ransom, he never plays, nor is he distracted. 
So in this tradition, Imam Sadiq is showing that Imam Musa al-Kazim is the Imam after him because of the traits that he has. Somebody that holds the position of Imama and is going to hold the position of Imama. That is clear in the way that they are even before they become an Imam. There are other proofs as well of course for the Imama of Imam al-Kazim but Mizan al-Hikmah stops with one narration. The next subsection is about the Imam's time in prison. Now there's an important misconception that has to be cleared up about the Imam's time in prison. Sometimes the word prison is used for what we would now understand as house arrest, which would mean a limited interaction between the Imam and the outside world, but not completely being cut off from the outside world. And the reason for this imprisonment or this type of house arrest was that the caliphs were very concerned about the secret society of the Shia and they wanted to limit and monitor the Imam and to see who comes in, who comes out, what type of resources the Imam is holding and to generally have an idea about what is going on in the secret society that the Imams have established because it is from that secret society that the Imams had the power to control what was happening in the courts of the Khalifs and it also had the dual benefit for the Khalifs in separating the Imams from the society so that less people would be aware of their greatness but as we will see in the life of Imam Rida this strategy didn't work very well in the first narration Thawbani narrated Abu Hassan Musa ibn Ja'far for about 10 years performed a single prostration from sunrise until noon. Harun would sometimes climb onto a roof that overlooked the prison cell wherein he had imprisoned Abu Hassan. He would see Abu Hassan, meaning the seventh Imam, in prostration. He asked Ar-Rabi, who was the person in charge of imprisoning the Imam, what is that cloth I see on that spot every day? He said, O commander of the faithful, that is not a cloth but Musa ibn Ja'far. He performs a prostration every day from sunrise until noon. Harun said, He is indeed one of the holy men from the Bani Hashim. I asked, Then why have you confined him to captivity? He said, Alas, this is how it must be. In the translation of this hadith, the word prison cell is used and again that comes from the misconception of what was really happening here. In the Arabic, the term used is al-habs, which has a wider meaning than a prison cell as we understand it today. So in this hadith, we can see that the Imam had this program of worship where he would prostrate to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from sunrise until noon and that his abstemious nature was such that when somebody looked from above, they would just see as if it was a cloth on the ground. And this way of acting from the Imam was such that it would highlight the pointlessness of keeping him within the prison because he was a man who was worshipping his Lord. And so he was not a military threat, he was not a political threat, he was just a very pure person and that had the effect of of making people question the wisdom of keeping him in this kind of confinement. The Imam was eventually released from Ar-Rabi's prison because Ar-Rabi over a period of time began to become more and more slack in his monitoring of the Imam and so Harun ordered him to be moved to another prison. It was principally in the last prison in which the Imam was held in which the situation deteriorated from a situation of house arrest. Harun's answer to Thawbani when he asks why then has the Imam been kept in captivity if he is one of the holy men of Bani Hashim is that it must be this way because Harun understood that Imam Musa al-Kazim was the rightful leader of the Ummah and the more that the people were to understand that despite the pomp and glory of what is sometimes called the golden age of Islam when riches from all over the Islamic world were brought to Baghdad Despite these riches, Harun understood that the people would understand the rightful Imam and so he had to keep them away. And like I mentioned previously, he also had to monitor the situation and understand really the threat of the Imam within his own court.
The Abbasids were also trying to impress upon the people that when the Holy Prophet ﷺ spoke about the greatness of his family and the rightfulness of his family to be the leaders of the Muslim Ummah, they were trying to convince people that by the family of the Prophet, the Holy Prophet meant the Abbasids. And so the arguments of the seventh Imam against these ideas were very powerful and Harun needed to keep that under check. In the next narration, Ali ibn Suwaid narrates, I wrote a letter to Abul Hassan Muhammad ibn Ja'far when he was in captivity. So the same word here, Al-Habs, has been translated as captivity. In which I inquired about his health and about many other issues. He held back the reply from me for months. Then he replied in a letter, the text of which is as follows. In the name of Allah, the Beneficent, the Merciful. Certainly, you are a man who has been bestowed a special rank by Allah with the household of Muhammad and has guided you among those who look after his religion. So this tradition has just been included here to show that the Imam was in captivity. The final subsection for this section is about his virtues. It is narrated in Al-Irshad. It is reported that Al-Kazim used to supplicate a lot and say, O Allah, indeed I ask you for ease at the time of death and pardon at the time of the account. And he used to repeat this several times. And among his supplications were, The sin of your slave is great, so graceful will be the pardon from you. He used to weep out of fear of Allah until his beard was soaked with tears. He used to be most diligent with maintaining relations with his family and his kin. He used to visit the poor of Medina at night, for whom he would take a basket of gold, silver, flour and dates. He would deliver all of this to them while they did not even know where he came from. So these are some of the great acts of the seventh Imam and we saw at the end there the specific act that all the Imams did which is to carry the charity to the needy in the night time and distribute it while the people don't even know that it is the Imam himself. The two du'as that are narrated in this tradition are أَضُمَ min abdik which is that the sin of your slave is great, so graceful will be the pardon from you. And the other supplication was, Allahumma inni as'aluka rahata indal maut wal afu indal hisab. Meaning, O oh Allah, indeed I ask you for ease at the time of death and pardon at the time of the account. In the final tradition, Hassan ibn Muhammad ibn Yahya al-Alawi said, my grandfather narrated to me that Musa ibn Ja'far was called the righteous slave, Al-Abdus Salih, due to his worship and hard work. Our companions narrated that he would enter the mosque of the Prophet and would perform a prostration early in the night. He was heard to say in his prostration, My sin from me is great, whilst your pardon from you is graceful. O one who is worthy of being feared, and O one who is worthy of granting forgiveness. He would repeat this until morning. He was generous and noble. He was once informed of someone who spoke ill of him, so he sent for him a tray with 1,000 dinars. So the dua that is narrated here is similar to the previous one that we saw in the last tradition. And again, one of the traits that we see from all the Imams is that they would repel what is evil with something that is good. And so when somebody insulted the Imam, the Imam responded not by insulting back, but with a good action that would change the mindset of the person that had been unjust to them. And this is a very important trait for us to learn and for us to pass on. Inshallah, the next episode is about Imam Rida. Wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi al-tayyibin al-tahirin.